Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbour Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Look out. He's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a pterodactyl, and I love film. As Carl Jung once said, Who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakes, who looks in the mirror, the stepmother in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I don't think that's quite the mystery you think it is, Carl. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Sharon Stone, Ricky Gervais, Kevin Smith, and even Led Campbells. But this week, my guest is the incredible screenwriter, Mr. Rhett Reese. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you will get a full 30 minutes extra chat and questions with Rhett. He tells an amazing secret. You also get the whole episode uncut and ad-free and as a video. It's a really good Patreon section this week. You're really going to like it. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. And if you've not yet seen it, you can now watch the whole of season one of Ted Lasso on the Apple TV Plus app. Watch it. You will laugh. You will cry. It will make you happy. So, Rhett Reese. Rhett Reese and his writing partner, Paul Wernick, are responsible for some of the best big screen movies of recent years. They wrote both Deadpool films, both Zombieland films, and they're currently working on a new version of Clue. I was delighted to get to record this over Zoom with Rhett, who I think you will find is an absolutely phenomenal guest. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 123 of Films to be Buried With. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried With. It is me, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by an influencer, a producer, a creative genius, a funny man, a serious man, a man with heart and a man with passion, a man who can deal with zombies and who can also deal with very rude superheroes, a hero and a legend himself. Please welcome to the show... Thank you so much for having me. I'm blushing. Thank you so much for doing this. Now, uh, Rhett uh, Reese, um, I've had two of your compatriots, is that what we call them? Yeah. Colleagues, conspirators. I think I know who you mean. Ruben Fleischer and 
and Rob Delaney, right? We've had Rob Delaney and Ruben Fleischer, uh, director of Zombieland and Zombieland 2, which you wrote, and uh, Rob Delaney from Deadpool 2. Now, I texted Ruben Fleischer yesterday and I said, have you got, give me the skinny on Rhett Reese. I said, A, is he going to be a dick? It's going to be difficult. <laughs> and B, any insider tips? He said, he's the nicest guy in the world. I said, oh, boring. Okay. <laughs> and then he said, the only thing I can tell you is that the character of Columbus in Zombieland is basically him. That's, uh, yeah, that's actually true, sadly for me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, those two guys are the ultimate mensches. Ruben, uh, you know, we owe the world to him. He directed the Zombielands and uh, and made our career what it is, helped make our career what it is. And I say our, I have a writing partner, Paul Wernick, who's not with us today. But uh, And then Rob Delaney, you know, I worship the ground he walks on and we're doing a new project with him. And oh, uh, cool. you know, the, the character of Peter, oh my gosh, he's the greatest. He really is the greatest. And also I saw in your IMDb, you're making Clue, the new Clue. We, uh, yeah, we've written a couple drafts of Clue for Fox That's or the cool. former Fox, I guess. I know it's still Fox, uh, for Ryan Reynolds to, to star. And, uh, that's been a, a dream come true. You know, I was wow. always a fan of the original Clue and Murder by Death. So I love the, the comedy murder mystery. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I'm guessing you can't tell us anything about it. Not much, but Ryan will be intimately involved and uh, it's a passion project for him. And again, we're thrilled. Will it have multiple endings? No, actually, actually, you're not allowed to do that anymore. I think maybe that was a, a failed experiment. We were told that that exhibitors don't want different versions of the same movie. Interesting. Yeah. And I always thought the multiple endings was a bit of a cop out too. any yeah. movie, any murder mystery that could have multiple endings applied at the very last second and still work is not really the best mystery in the world. If you, if you stop to think That's about so it. True. But, and I've forgotten because I only ever saw it on video. I forgot because I've just seen it when you watch it on video, it has the three endings in a row. But I forgot in cinemas, it was one, one per screen. It, it was. And at the time, as I recall, you didn't know which one you were going to see. So you just show up and you'd get one. And and then if you went to see one of the other ones, you might wait the whole movie and get the same one you'd already seen. So not the best plan, maybe. Fascinating. You've you've got a, a heck of a you've had a heck of a heck of a career. You've had a wonderful time. <laughs> <laughs> it has it has been. Uh, we've been very fortunate. I'll just say that where we're very grateful for how things have gone. You know, they, the when you look at someone's IMDb page, you always feel like. Uh, well, you know, they must be so excited to have done all those things. And, and you certainly are. But but what's not on the IMDb page is the 10 year labor of love that, that happened. Well, yeah, before there's that, a lot of stuff. That movie came out. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's a lot of stuff the, before Zombieland where you go, oh, I hadn't uh, heard of you until Zombieland. You go, oh, shit, you did years and years of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like every every overnight success takes 10 years. And then every movie, every credit takes 10 years, essentially. I mean, mm. or, not exactly, but these things are. They're very much labors of love. That's so interesting. So with uh, Deadpool, because Zombieland was an original creation of yours, right? It was. It was. We actually wrote it as a television pilot first, interestingly. And we sold it to CBS. And uh, CBS, in, in their great wisdom, decided not to make it, which turned out to be this amazing blessing in disguise. Uh, we, we engineered, a, a, through our producer, we engineered a, a move from television over to Sony, Sony Pictures. And... Uh, and we expanded it into a feature and it became a movie. And you can see there are hints of that in the movie. Like when you see the zombie kill of the week, like that was intended yeah. to be something that happened every week on television. 
and and instead you know is still there in in the feature version but it was definitely originally intended as a, as a television show that's fucking cool and the, but that's an example of like the twisted path these movies take yeah. to get made you know deadpool took 6 years zombieland 2 took 10 years uh the first zombieland went through a crazy tortuous path like it's it's just Every movie has its story. There's the movie behind the movie. Are you sticking with movies or, or do you go, but do you do stuff in TV as well? We're doing a little stuff in TV, but we're not really show running. We're, we're, we're mostly partnering with showrunners and helping consult and bring their, their visions uh, to fruition. That's, that's our path in TV. Nice. And can I ask you one more question about all this is so with Deadpool that exists as a property, as a thing, how did that come about? Did Ryan Reynolds come to you and go, I want you guys to, how does that work? Yeah. So Ryan was attached as a producer. It was over at Fox. Uh, they brought it to us. We had never read a Deadpool comic, not even one. We spent one weekend reading Deadpool comics pretty much from Friday to Sunday night. We fell in love with it. We said, we want to pitch. We went in and pitched and it was one of the worst pitches we've ever done. Like it went so, so badly. And we pitched Ryan and he just did not connect. And we thought we'd lost the job and we went home and licked our wounds and our agent to his great credit, um, basically sort of ended around the process and went back to Ryan and said, Hey, I want you to read this script. The guys did. I think it's indicative that they could retool their pitch and, and come in a second time and, and pitch it to you a second time. And so he sent, he sent uh, Ryan this, this HBO pilot we'd written about a voyeur and Ryan just fell in love with the pilot. He just oh, wow. loved it. And so, and so he thought, well, you know what, maybe, maybe these guys deserve a second chance. So he took us to the Chateau Marmont in, uh, in Los Angeles, that classic old, old yeah. hotel. We sat out on the patio and uh, we hashed it out for about two hours over lunch. And he, and he, pitched what he was thinking. And we then started riffing off that. And it was sort of like a jazz band. We were kind of, we were kind of riffing. And and by the end of the two hours, he said, you're my guys. And Uh. we're going to do this. And so he basically called Fox and he wrote them, actually, he wrote them this impassioned email about why, despite our our horrible first pitch, we were now the guys (laughs) and they hired us and we were off to the races and, you know, whatever the six or seven year saga to make Deadpool began. That's so fascinating. Listen, guys, he's bad in the room, but it just depends on the room. If you if you put them in the Chateau Marmont, they're really good in that room. Exactly. <laughs> it, was all right about, room. it was all about that beautiful chateau that, that brought yeah. out the best in us. So you and Paul, have, oh wait, how long have you two worked together? And how's that We've work? worked together since uh, about 2001. We made a really crazy idea for a reality show back in the early 2000s. And uh, we ended up selling it and making it. It was a little bit like the Wild West. It was the joy of our lives. It continues to be the greatest thing we ever did, uh, in my mind, like a wonderful honeymoon. And then uh, ultimately wanted to keep working in television. So we wrote Zombieland as a pilot. Mm-hmm. And and then it became a movie. And suddenly our, our career veered in that direction. Interestingly, I had been writing movies for a long time before I met Paul. So I, I was writing children's, not before I met Paul, but before Paul and I He's partnered up on our yeah. reality show. So I had actually been a screenwriter, but I convinced him to start writing and we wrote the Zombieland pilot. Do you have, do you have a rule of like, both of you have to agree on a, on a line or it doesn't go in? Do you have? Our, our rule tends to be he who is most passionate wins. You know, it's okay. like if somebody really starts to care more than the other one, the other one tends to back off, which is a, a pretty good policy. <laughs> so when it, it's at its most heated one of you guys i don't give a shit if you want that yeah, you could have at, it at some point at some point it's like look you're angrier than i am so something <laughs> must be going on 
So interesting. How does the relationship work with you and your wife and you and Paul? Yeah, it's a love triangle, a weird. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's look, my wife is amazing. Um, she uh, is an actor and I'm a writer and we bonded, uh, among other things, over two movies that are about that, Moulin Rouge and Shakespeare in Love. Uh, oh, her, wow. Interestingly, her favorite movie was Moulin Rouge, and one of my very favorite movies was Shakespeare in Love, and each one is about an actor and a writer falling in love. Yeah. So, uh, and she's an excellent writer, too. She's the funny, funniest person I know, um, oh. uh, other than Paul. And, uh, and so, <laughs> yeah, it all works well. We're all Have one you worked actor. together, you and your wife? No, have, have, have never worked together, uh, though... Interest, interestingly, she did act on uh, that reality show that I was telling you about. Uh, the Joe Schmack I did, but it was it was a third season of the show that that happened many many years after the first two seasons. Uh, Paul and I were not intimately involved with it, but we showed up at the rap party, and the rap party is where I met my wife. So anyway, oh, wow. so. We sort of vaguely worked together in the sense that she acted on a show that I had created many years previous. Just a little side note, the Joe Schmo show, that's the show, right? Yes. And the premise the was, talking. it was like the Truman Show, right? It is. It's exactly the Truman Show. So uh, we took a guy, we brought him onto a reality show that he thought where, where he thought he was living in a mansion and competing against nine other contestants. And they were doing immunity challenges and voting each other off. And what he didn't know was that everybody else in the house was an actor pretending yeah. to be a reality contestant. And he was he was the center, like like Truman, of this bizarre, crazy, dramatic, uh, funny world that was essentially a parody of reality TV. And he was the one person who who wasn't in on the joke. And and so it was a blast. You know, again, the honeymoon of our creative lives. So fun. And, and we he made legitimately you- didn't he, he never. Yeah. No, he fell for it. Yeah, he totally fell for it. Yeah. And um, but it was it, it would have required a true paranoid person not to fall for it because who would who would be thinking in those yeah, terms yeah. right you know you at least in that moment in hidden reality tv history you just wouldn't have been expecting that something that crazy was going on unless you were you yourself were a lunatic so it made every every degree of sense that he fell for it and yet man it was a joy i mean every scene was like this christmas present that you opened up and you didn't know what you were going to get because you know he he you knew what you guys were going to do, but you didn't know how he was going to react. And his reaction was such a big portion of the show at every moment. And uh, again, it's, it's impossible for us to recreate the lightning in the bottle that we felt when we made that show. We were just walking, uh, walking on air the whole time. That's cool. And I'm assuming he was a lovely guy, this guy. Oh, the best. He's the best. He made the show. Like it's just the dearest and also the dearest guy. Also the most frank, funniest, like he was the best reality contestant ever because he would tell you exactly what he was thinking at any given moment. And, and at just a big personality, salt of the earth. I love him. We're still buddies. 20 years oh, I love that. That's so nice. Oh, Brett. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Oh. Don't say it. Don't even say oh, it. I forgot to tell you something. Oh, no, Brett. Brett, 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 Brett. Ah. <laughs> oh. I, you what? know, I sensed it, Brett. I sensed what it. a dummy. What a dummy. I should have said this right at the beginning, and I and I didn't. I was excited to talk to you. We had so much to talk about, but I probably should have said this bit first. Ah, what a dummy. Um, ugh, yeah. I don't know. Listen, you've, you've yeah. made Zombieland and Deadpool. You've died. 
you've died. <sighs> it's sad, but maybe you'd want to know how it happened. Yeah, I'd know. love to know how it happened. Okay. Was... <laughs> well, well, let me tell you that. Uh, <laughs> so this, this is really based on something that really happened to me. Uh, I uh, was friends with a, uh, a college professor of mine who, at the age of 87, had elective surgery on his aorta, which was a potential problem that, 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 that had the, the potential to kill him. So he had elective surgery on it to, to, to fix it. And before he did, he reached out to every one of his friends with this amazing email and then a phone call basically saying goodbye in case he didn't survive the surgery. And it was so emotional. Like it was this amazing, amazing goodbye, this, this really, really thoughtful email. And also this amazing conversation I had with him. I'll never forget it. And so he goes into surgery and I, you're probably thinking that he died on the table, but he didn't came out of surgery. He did great. It, uh, he ended up living to be 95, but it gave me the idea that what a great way to die, right? Like what a great way to be able I'm getting choked up as I talk about it, but to be able to get to say goodbye to Mm. everybody you love in a way that isn't too freighted with the idea that you're absolutely going to die. Like like you have a chance of coming out of surgery, but then you die on the table. Like you just, you don't come out of it. And so anyway, it gets me choked up, but that to me would be the way I want to die. And Mm. so that's the way I died. I said, I got a chance to say my goodbyes, but I died in surgery. And you were 87. 87. Well, we could bump it up. Ninety-seven. No, maybe. you said eighty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> do you worry, do you worry about death? Do you think about it a lot? All the time. Do yeah, you? Time. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm that guy. You mentioned Columbus from Zombieland. Like, I see death everywhere. He is. He stalks me. You know, he's always over my shoulder. He's over the shoulder of my family members, my loved ones, and I've been ex- extremely fortunate in life. But I am. I very much have that Woody Allen gene where death is just. It's right in front of me all the time. And, and I hate it. I hate the fact that I, I worry about aging. I worry about dying. Mm. I worry about the people I love dying. It, it haunts me. It really does, sadly. Yeah, I fully understand that. Uh, have you seen Synecdoche, New York? No, still have not. I highly recommend it. But it is about an artist who is absolutely obsessed with illness and death. And it's kind of what's... It's, I, I think it's amazing. And it's amazing on lots of levels, but... One of the things it's sort of about, I think, is this man who basically lives a very, very long time, but spends his whole life thinking he's ill, thinking he's dying, (laughs) thinking. And it's this sort of tragedy of it was all there. He was there was love all around him, but he spent so much time thinking it was going. That that is such a it's such a heartbreaking thought. I've got to see it now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I do try to channel it. I do try to channel it into savoring things and savoring moments and not letting moments pass me by. Uh, so I do think it makes me appreciate life, thinking about it and worrying about it. Um, so I guess maybe there's a little bit of upside to it. But, you know, at the same time, it drags me down a fair amount. So I'm not, you, I'm not, ashamed, you, I'm not ashamed to admit that. What's the, what, what is it you think happens when you die? Do you think it's nothing? I think it's nothing. Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm not presumptuous enough to say that I would ever know, but I just, you you think about the, all the years that happened before you were born. And I think Mm -hmm. that's sort of what death is going to be like, you know, life's going on for the world and you're just not around for it. You have no awareness of it. Um, That's what I'm guessing. I guess the, the, the Hail Mary pass that, that would seem 
maybe the most likely, if it's not that, is this idea that we're all in a simulation, you know, the idea that, that it's been floated, that, that, you know, maybe this is all just a simulation and you wake up and you're somewhere else and you, and you didn't realize it. But other than that, yeah, I'm going to go with the, the big dirt nap. Well, that would make more sense for why you dread it. I don't think I'm going to be hanging out with grandma. You know, I just right. don't. So that, that makes it all the more, you know, harrowing. Do you, do you remember when you first started being aware of it or is this like in your head of you? Well, yeah, I mean, to be honest, it, it really dovetails with a question that you, you ask on the podcast, which is the first film you ever saw. Oh. Uh, first, the first film I ever saw was Bambi in the theaters. Um, and Bambi's mother dies. Like, yeah. And that was the first moment I remember thinking that, oh my gosh, my mother could die. Like my mother could be taken from me. Like that's, that was what landed for me. And so, and it was really scarring. Like I kind of blame Disney for, yeah. for kicking that off. Like, because it, it's in a, in, in a lot of their movies that, you know, there's either a single parent or the parent dies. And I'm not yeah. sure why that is. They're getting sort of obsessed with the macabre, but, but Bambi's mother being taken from her lodged the idea in my mind and I've really kind of never shaken it since. It's weird. That's so interesting. You know, um, there's a brilliant actor, writer, comedian called Rasheen Connerty. Uh, I don't know if you know her. She's got a show called Game Face and she was on my podcast and she said a thing that has really stayed with me about Bambi and stuff, which is there's like an argument that films like Bambi or other films like this prepare kids for death and they're a good thing because they show you death and stuff and she said she thinks that bullshit because when her dad died it wasn't like she thought oh thank god i saw bambi i feel so much better (laughs) yeah exactly i i I i'm with her i am totally with her yeah well listen my friend there is a heaven and it's great (laughs) it's great your grandma's there she's a right laugh it's great But they are obsessed with films out there and they want to know about your life through film. They've already heard what your first film was and they're yeah. horrified. They're absolutely horrified. No, no, they should be. I mean, yeah, it, it's, again, Walt Disney. He's the Do you man. see it at the cinema? Do you remember? I did. I saw it in theaters. I think Bambi was a re-release maybe at that point. Yeah. This would have been early 70s, something like that. But I do remember it being theatrically because I don't think there'd be any other way I would have seen it at that age. Like, I'm not, I don't really remember going to the theater to see it. I just remember yeah. the mom dying. Like, that's what lodged. Who took you to see it? My parents. And you, do you have siblings or it was just you? And oh, Sorry. And yes. One younger brother. Maybe he went to. I don't know. Maybe he was too young to go. I can't remember. Mm, he was spared it. You yeah. came home and he was like, how was yeah. it? And you were like, life <laughs> will never I, be the I, same. I sure, I was sure to fill him in to make sure he didn't, he didn't escape the, the gang. <laughs> One day we will all die. Good yeah. night. <laughs> Fascinating. What is that? Well, what is the film that scared you the most? Okay. So I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of a left turn here for a moment. And, and, I, and I was going to say the China syndrome, which is, uh, a movie from the 70s, early 80s, maybe, uh, about a nuclear reactor meltdown. Right. And it's not, it's not a horror movie, um, but it's Jack Lemmon and Jane Fonda and Michael Douglas. And it's it's about something that's truly terrifying to consider, which is the possibility of a nuclear reactor actually melting down due to sort of malfeasance on the part of the company who's running it. Um, I'm going to pivot off that particular movie, though, because... I'm actually a big believer in nuclear power. Like I think it's like secretly a way mm-hmm. out of global warming that we need to embrace. And I don't want a scaremongering movie to be, to be, you know, sort of my answer for this okay. uh, when it comes to that. So I'm going to go with David Fincher's seven instead, um, which uh, 
uh, I think is his masterpiece. I mean, okay. among other masterpieces, but I like it even more than, you know, social network and, and, and Zodiac. It's so dark. It's, it's just, I remember the tension just rising and rising and rising in that movie to the point where I could almost gauge it with a needle. You know, it's like as, as, as the movie was moving forward, uh, the, the, the moment where the guy's strapped to the bed and you think mm. he's dead and it turns out he's alive like that, that's the single scariest movie moment I can remember from any movie. Like I just kind of lost it. And then, and then, and then the, the increase of tension toward the end with the, the, the head in the box, what's in the box with the head in the box. Uh, it's, it's uh, start to finish the scariest movie I ever saw. It's a great fucking film. That. It's a great film, but it's so, it's such a hot, I watched it recently and it still holds up and it's brilliant, but it's such a, it's a kind of horrible film because it's, it takes sort of two opposing views. It says Morgan Freeman says the world is shit. And Brad Pitt says the world is nice. And it, it sort of goes yeah. at the end. Freeman was right. <laughs> uh, Freeman was right. Uh, it's also a movie that I think has the best foot chase in the history of movies. Yes. The, 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 the chase through the building. Brad Pitt going after Kevin Spacey or who turns out to be Kevin Spacey. It's I could watch that chase 50 straight times and find something else to love in it. It's it's just a wonderfully shot sequence. Um yeah, one thing that I thought was interesting with uh, when I spoke to Ruben, the director of Zombieland, is he said he, I believe he said he didn't like horror films. And he was like, I oh, know, I just like comedy and stuff. And you've made two zombie films, but do you not like horror films? No, I love so, horror films. Oh, okay, and, good. And we did actually write one, a, a straight horror film in the movie Life with Brian Reynolds uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, yeah. So that was, that was one that... Uh, you know, kind of, we've got to scratch that itch because Zombieland really was much more a comedy than a horror yeah. movie. Ultimately, it gets lumped in with horror movies because it has zombies in it, but it's rarely scary. And yeah. uh, I think that was a mutual decision on our part and Ruben to lean into the comedy versus the the scares. But no, I love horror films. Absolutely. Good. Uh, <laughs> what is the film that made you cry the most? Uh, historically over my life, I've seen it so many times. Uh, I have shed the most tears over field of dreams, you know, start to finish. I could probably fill a bathtub with all the tears I've shed over that yeah. movie because every time I watch it, the last 10 minutes, I'm a blubbering mess the whole way. But, in, but in terms of the actual movie that made me cry the most, the first time I saw it, it was once, uh, a John Carney's movie, oh, really? uh, the Irish yeah. movie. And I remember weeping in the theater, like actually like ugly crying in the theater but then this never happened i went out to my car and i was getting into my car and i started crying again in the parking lot like it was yeah. it was a little bit of the of the story itself um i love the fact that that movie produced tears in me without relying on a death or a sickness or you know the things that are usually used to to, to grab you know, grab you in, in, in a sentimental way. It was just about sort of love and, and, you know, kind of miss just miss love because of circumstance. And to me that, that uh, it just, it moved me so, so very much. And I remember crying in the parking lot going, what is going on with me? Like, this is, this is almost, <laughs> it's almost kind of uh, odd that I'm doing this. I ended up flying to Ireland about a month later based on my love for the movie. I mean, yeah. I am obsessed with once. Uh, I I went to Dublin for a week. I visited all the locations they shot the movie. Nice. I, and, and then the topper was that I was standing out on Grafton Street, which is this is which is the street where Glenn Hansard. You've seen the movie, you've yeah, seen yeah. one, yeah. Where Glenn Hansard's playing the guitar, busking out on Grafton Street. So I'm out on Grafton Street. Uh, I'm this is you know 2007 something like that, and 
there's a busker playing guitar and I'm, and I'm like, I'm going to get my Christmas card picture right here. So I'm about to go up to the busker to say, can I hold your guitar and you take a picture of me and I'll give you 20 euros. Like, and, and, and so I can make this Christmas card picture based on the movie and stand right where Glenn Hansen stood. I was going to do it. And I look up and who is walking down the street right past me, like to within elbows distance of me. But John Carney, the writer director of once is walking straight down the street. And he's a very distinctive man. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of him, but he's got crazy hair, big ears, like, like kind of, he's just, he's just distinctive looking. And I turned to him and I, and it was like, it was like he appeared out of a dream or something. I, Cause I'm just like this weird obsessive fan at that moment. And I said, excuse me, are you John Carney? And he said, yes. And, and we struck up a conversation out on the street for about 10 minutes. And he said, oh, it's a real shame, you know, because I told him I was in the business and we chatted. And it's a real shame because last night I was out at the pub with Glenn Hansard and we, you could have come out. Uh, drinking. But, we, but we did it last night. So we're too hungover. We don't want to do it again. And I just it broke my heart. But it was a, it was a wonderful moment for me. That's so nice. Did you, were you like, I flew here because of your film? I'm standing yeah, here. Yeah, I did. I did. I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want to seem too crazy. Yeah. So I said, <laughs> I'm always meaning to come to Ireland. I thought, while I'm in the neighborhood, maybe I'll, I'll stand. Yes. I want to wear your face as skin. Yeah, I know exactly. I definitely had at least the potential to come across as, <laughs> as, as that dude. So I was a little, a little circumspect, but. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Did you love once? Did you like I once? I did. I think you, once is, I, I forget. I put once in the one of the great opening sequences category. I think the opening to Once oh. is amazing. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, it's well, they a... get into that song falling slowly real early, and, and, it's, and, and they're, they're, uh, he's, she's playing the piano, and he's singing, and it's, I mean, I, I was kind of crying 10 minutes into the movie because I'm like, what? this is just, this is incredibly yeah. moving. I love movies about artists, you know, and creative people, like, you know, just, it just always yeah. gets me. Well, also what once does, it's the same, like the reason that I was so impressed with A Star Is Born, Bradley Cooper's A Star Is Born, is I think the the feel of when they're singing at the concert live, it's got the atmosphere and I don't know, I'm obsessed with how he pulled it off because it's so rarely achieved. Like it really feels real and you feel the atmosphere of the crowd and it has a certain electricity that a live performance has. And it's so hard to capture on film. And I feel like once has a similar thing of it feels real. It doesn't feel like it a really film does. version. You feel like this really is live. I, I love I love musicals where the music is just part of the story as opposed to everybody breaks into song, you know, unrealistically. Mm-hmm. Like I like I can like that too, but but yeah, I mean that that scene in Star is Born, it's it's exhilarating. That the one where she's yeah. on stage and, and seeing her reaction to being on stage and the organic yeah. nature of it, the song starting to grow and it, it, it puts goosebumps on my arms thinking about it. And, and there's a scene in Once where they're recording in the studio and the magic of that, they're sitting in front of, you know, Once is a movie that's very uncynical. Like, it's like everyone in the movie is a good guy. I feel that way about your show, Ted Lasso. Like, almost everyone, except for the, the evil, you know, kind of billionaire <laughs> dude. Like, it's like everyone on the show is likable. Like, you know, you just, you just, you find things to like about them. And that's the way Once is. The only guy who's unlikable for one second is the sound engineer who thinks that these <laughs> these bunch of bumpkins are about to come in and, and play some terrible music. And he's just there, you know, going through the motions, collecting a paycheck. And yet the, the, when they perform in front of him within, within literally 30 seconds, you see him change where he's like, wow, they're amazing. Like, and, and, and so even the one slightly bad guy in the movie turns out to be good and he buddies up with them and everything. And so it's just, it's just feel good on top of feel good for me. Love that. Love that. What is the film 
that people don't really like critically. It's definitely not acclaimed. It's not a popular film. You love it. You don't give a yeah. shit. What uh, this for me is a very easy answer. It's Top Gun. Uh, <laughs> Top, Top Gun is a movie that the critics didn't like yeah. that very much anyway, that everybody makes fun of, that people who do like it, like it ironically. ironically they tend yeah. to like it ironically. They're poking fun at it as they like it. I love Top Gun completely unironically. Like I, I, uh, my dad was in the Navy. He was a flight air traffic controller on a carrier. Like he knew all those guys. Like, and uh, I've actually landed on the deck of an aircraft carrier myself through my dad. Like he got me. And so we got to land on a carrier and take off on a carrier. Like, so I'm like Navy obsessed, pilot obsessed, you know, the whole thing. I love Tom Cruise. I I'm I love America like it's just sort of, <laughs> maybe I'm ashamed to admit it but I I love Top Gun so much I've watched it a gazillion times it's one of those movies I I can almost recite by heart I went to college I sat down on my first day of college and surrounded by a bunch of other students and said my favorite movie is Top Gun and I took the biggest beat down of my life like everybody was like you jingoistic jingoistic oh, fascist you know like all it does is celebrate the military and like it's just there's nothing no worse movie and I was just oh my gosh I was and they were not being like nice they were actually mad at me for yeah, liking yeah. the movie and I took a beating for it, but I don't care. Top Gun it is still, I'm so fired up for the sequel. I'm all about Top Gun. <laughs> that is a perfect answer. Congratulations. I mean, I don't know. I Look, I, I, I can certainly see why people like it. I either don't like it or like mm-hmm. it ironically. I get that. I get the, I get the criticism, but at the same time, I'm all in. You're all in. Is there a film that you used to love you loved a lot but then you've watched recently and you've thought ah oh, i don't like this anymore yeah i mean i think i think when this is most likely to hit hardest is when you convince someone who hasn't seen an old film that you love to watch it with you where you're like oh you're yeah. gonna love it and you get down on that you sit down on the couch and then it starts and then and it's a comedy and then silence and then silence. Yeah. And yeah. 10 minutes in, you're starting to get that flop sweat on your brow. And yeah. You're just like, like you made oh it. Like you made I know. the film. Yeah, it's like, this, exactly. Like I've, I have ownership yeah. in this for some reason. Now I got skin in the game. The person next to me is clearly silent. They're not liking it. It's like, when am I going to first say something? When am I going to go, you know, maybe I, maybe I screwed up on this. And, and for me, okay, this is really sad because the man who made it is on my Mount Rushmore of, of entertainers. Like he's my favorite guy in the world. And the fact that I'm going to criticize this movie or say that it doesn't hold up makes me sick to my stomach, but it's Steve Martin's the jerk. Oh, Uh, the jerk to me. I love like obsessed by it. And I don't even remember who it was that I recommended it to. And we sat there and watched it and it, it was like dead silence. And I just thought, Oh my God. And I, and I wasn't, I don't think the person next to me was being too harsh. Like, I just don't think it held up or maybe the passage of time, or maybe it was yeah. just, it, it was, it was attaching to the zeitgeist at a certain time. And that time had passed. I, I'm not sure, but it just didn't work for me. And it, it made me really sad. Um, I still adore Steve Martin. And if he listens to this, I'll probably jump off a bridge. But anyway. If he, if he listens to this, I'd be delighted that he listens to the podcast. Of course, also. Of course. For you. <laughs> for you, it'd be great. For you, for you this is terrible if he's listening. Yeah. But for me, I'm like, do you want to come on? I love the joke, but I haven't watched it in a long time. And you made me think I'll never watch it again. Just in Well, case. maybe don't. Maybe just let it be there okay. in your mind. I don't know. Like, what age would you have seen it at? Would you have seen it when you were like young, young? Mm, I probably haven't seen it in about 10 years. Okay. Well, maybe it, maybe it's all right. If you still loved it 10 years ago, maybe you're okay. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe, and this could be me. Like, trust me, I'm yeah, yeah. an idiosyncr- idiosyncratic person. So, um, if you loved it ten years ago, maybe you're insane. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I would not. I would not. No, I know. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's three percent on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. What is the film that means the most to you not necessarily the film itself is any good but because the experience you had around seeing the film will always make it special to you i I, yeah i struggle with this question because i i rarely remember the context in which i see a film i usually just remember the film but i do have a fun story uh when i was uh in my late teens early 20s uh saw the movie dangerous liaisons and i don't know if you've ever seen this movie Love it. it's a great John, yeah it, it's it's a classic one of my very favorites uh but i i saw it for the first time with my grandmother on vhs in our house just the two of us and i'm not sure what contrived to, to you know what what set of circumstances contrived to put us on the couch next to each other but how old were you i'd say 18 19 something like that maybe okay. 20 right, right around that age um, my grandmother, most wonderful woman in the world, but very sort of, you know, greatest generation, a little, a little, you know, prudish, puritanical, like, you know, so we're watching the movie and it seems like masterpiece theater for a while. Right. I mean, it is set in right before the French revolution, we got powdered wigs and the costumes and she's into it and I'm into it. And then it starts to take a turn. Right. I mean, <laughs> this movie is about sex and it's about sex being used as a weapon and I am starting the flop sweat I just described watching the jerk. <laughs> I'm starting to get the flop sweat watching it with my grandma. And uh, it gets to the moment where John Malkovich is going to seduce Uma Thurman, who uh, is lying in bed. And Uma Thurman takes off her top uh, and there is her bare chest. And I now am just crawling right inside my, my own you know, brain going, please, please let this end. And anyway, I'll never forget it. My grandmother's sitting next to me. The top comes off. She just, without saying anything else, and, I, and I, I, I know you can see me and the audience can't, so I'll try to describe it, but she sort of leans a slightly forward on the sofa. She slaps her, her knees with both hands like this, down like this, and goes, all right, and stands up and walks straight <laughs> out of the room. Like, she literally just says, all right, and boom, out of the room. 
And I was, it was the, it was both the most horrible, but also the most wonderful moment ever because it was so funny, but also because it released the tension of like, I can't watch this with my grandmother anymore. And at least she called attention to that and left. So now I can just watch it. But anyway, it was like that, you know, you talk about the context, you see a movie, you know, somehow, uh, you know, impacting you. That doesn't happen to me often, but in that case, it really did. And I will never forget it. All right, right out the door. <laughs> That's really good. Uh, what is the film you most relate to? Uh, this one, uh, at, at the time I saw it, it was about a boy. Um, and, uh, and the boy and or I, Hugh Grant? Yeah, Hugh Grant. I, I, I related to Hugh Grant. I was a very, I, I was, I got married at uh, late in life, uh, my late forties. Um, so back when I saw it, I forget when it was, it was long before that. And I was sort of a confirmed bachelor, very selfish, very sort of set in my ways. I had my routine, you know, I didn't let emotion in. This is my life. You know, I'm kind of moving through my life. And when I saw that movie, I just thought that Nick Hornby had somehow climbed right inside my skull and, and peered in and wrote what he saw. Like, it was weird. It was a oh, weird wow. feeling. And it's funny because I, if I were to watch it now, I probably wouldn't relate to it anymore at all because now I'm married. I've got a child. Uh, uh, my life did. I did sort of mature and things changed. But at the time... I just, I, I can't remember relating to a movie more. And my brother felt the same way. And he's sort of still a confirmed bachelor, but it's like, but he, I, I think it just, uh, Nick Hornby, if if I were to guess, had some stage in his life where he kind of was that character. And I, mm. I think there are a lot of sort of man-child guys who are that character, you know, kind of just moving through life, enjoying themselves. They, they're having their fun and they're not really, you know, committing to anybody. And um, it's kind of half- wonderful and maybe sort of half empty and horrifying at the same time and, mm. and anyway that's that's the movie that, that did that for me can i ask what changed it for you was it meeting your wife is that like what i think yeah i mean it's like i think i was sort of late to get into more serious relationships like i really didn't get into serious relationships until my 30s so i think it was serious relationships in general and then my wife in particular who, who got me there. And, and again, I need to see the movie again. There are probably still things about it where I'm like, Oh yeah, that's still me. Like if I have, I'm ashamed to admit it, but, but I mean, I do think that having a relationship and then also having a child too, is a big one. Um, and that's sort of what the movie is about, right? Mm. I mean, Hugh Grant does connect with this boy and he starts yeah. to, that happens to him in the movie. So I might relate to it just as much because of the second half of the movie mm. or the third act of the movie. I, I'll, I'll need to see it again. You, you've, you actually made me curious to go back and see it again. Fascinating. So. Here we go, Reese. What's the sexiest film you've ever seen? This one for me uh, was Body Heat with Kathleen Turner Ooh. and William Hurt. Uh, yes. It struck at a moment when I was young and, um, you know, when you're young, your hormones are raging. And the, the moment I'll never forget in that movie is when William Hurt is leaving Kathleen Turner and kind of, it's night, he walks out the door. She's absolutely as sexy as could be. And and you think he's going to leave. And instead, he's watching her through this big pane of glass, this sort of uh, like, like, and she's inside and he's outside. And instead of like knocking on the door and saying, can I come back in? I changed my mind. I want to sleep with you. It's like he takes a, a, a piece of patio furniture, a chair, and he just throws it right through the glass of this huge pane window, bolts right into the end of the end of the house and they get it on. And and as a young man, I was just like, whoa. And And it was 
it was also in the context of a great movie. Like it mm. didn't, you know, it didn't feel cheap or it didn't feel like it was uh, just sex for the sake of sex. Like it's a great, great film noir, you know, kind of mystery on top of the, how sexy it is. But at the time it, it landed really hard. And I think probably if you ask any guy their sexiest movie, it probably lines up with their late teens, early twenties, yeah. because that's when you're like, you're, you're you don't almost don't know what to do with your libido, right? And and a movie is is, is can really really just latch into you at that stage of your life. What uh, there's a subcategory to this question: troubling boners, worrying wide-ons. What's the film you found arousing that you thought perhaps you weren't meant to? Yeah, and I'm going to go back to Dangerous Liaisons on this because, and this was of course after Grandma left the room. I think the reason it's somewhat troubling is like is that that movie really is about the darkest side of sex. Like sex in that movie is not really anything but a weapon. It's almost mm. like a blade to, to stick between somebody's ribs. Like it's used uh, to destroy people's lives. Um, so I think it's a movie where you really shouldn't find it sexy. Like, you know, or, or if you do, like maybe something's wrong there. Like, and yet <laughs> I, I do really find it sexy. Like the movie is sexy, yeah. um, but it's saying all the wrong things about sex. And it's almost like a, an excoriation of, of sex used in the wrong way and, and for the wrong purposes. So I do feel a little troubled when about the fact that I was so turned on by that movie, because it's kind of sadistic, but, but there it is again, I had to grandma had to be out of the room, but once she was gone, uh, that's the way I felt. <laughs> Went to town. Uh, do you know what? I haven't seen it in years and years, but it, I, I always think of it as one of my favourites because I, I tend to think I don't love period films, as in I, you know, I sort of in right. my head go, I don't want to yeah. see something that right. looks like that. But I know that that is also me being prejudiced against those things. But I have seen the one I saw that I think is amazing is Wings of the Dove. You ever see that? Oh yeah, I, I saw that in the theater. Yeah, love um, that film. Love that movie. No, yeah, totally. That that was and that, as I recall, was about some pretty deep feelings and yeah. it wasn't just like you know surface. Uh, no, and it's it's got a Victoria. thing in it. I've got a, a thing that I love in uh, in film, which doesn't happen a lot. Where the, there's a sex scene at the end that is about. <laughs> I mean, this is as bleak as it sounds. It's a sex scene that's about the death of love. That they basically. Uh, they've done this thing. They've they've done this scam basically, and the scam has worked. But by doing the scam, they've lost a piece of themselves, and they have sex at the end to reconnect. But you yeah. see in the sex that the love has gone. It's gone. Oh, and it's that's like so it's like tragic sex levels. That's awesome. I've yeah. seen it, but I don't. Re- it was a long time ago. It was probably like late nineties, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't remember yeah, the specific okay. that well. It's Helena Bonham Carter, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And Linus yeah. Bright. Yeah, uh, that, oh, that that that'll be a rewatch now. But yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. Means, it is um, odd sometimes when you watch an, uh, a movie that has sex in it, but it's set at a time where you think, well, people never had sex. Yeah, sort of like Last Picture Show is like that a little bit, where it's like oh, that's, that's like a great 50- film. The 50s in America, like you don't expect to see nudity and people taking their people didn't have sex till the 80s, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Before then, everyone was born and just it was was truly like they turned off the lights, they did it real quick, and then that was it, like, baby, like, there was no, but but you you do forget that, yeah, in Victorian times, people were getting it on. I mean, it may not, it may not have been, you know, as as socially acceptable to talk about it or put it in in art, but they were getting it on. disgusting yes how dare they uh what objectively is the greatest film of all time 
I'm going to steer off the Godfather, Thank even though you. that's the one that leaps to mind, of course. And I'm going to go to late 70s, early 80s, uh, Woody Allen, because I think he, and in particular, the movie for me is Manhattan. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think any filmmaker, you, you could make the case for certain people at certain, in certain stretches, but I don't think any filmmaker has ever been you know, at the top of his game for, for a, a multiple years, the way Woody Allen was in the Annie Hall, Manhattan, mm. Hannah and her sisters, you oh, know, yeah. uh, crimes and misdemeanors era uh, of late seventies, early eighties in New York. Like, I, I think those are. Why, the, why like, Manhattan in particular? Manhattan, it's not that much better than the others. I, I don't feel necessarily, but I think one, it was shot in black and white, which for the city of New York was, uh, was just, it was just a weird, great choice at that particular moment. Uh, to use that medium. It's about really flawed people, but it's also it's also funny as could be. It feels like it doesn't strike any false notes. The music, uh, the cinematography is stunning. Like the the it captures New York City in a in an absolutely romantic, but also realistic way. Uh, the Gershwin uh, music, Rhapsody in Blue, and and just the music throughout the the mm. the, the the classical music and the jazz throughout. It's just, it sets a mood uh, and then it's just about real people and their flaws and their foibles and, and people falling in love with the wrong people, the people who don't want them. And, and yet it's irrational love. And, and it also ends as well. It begins and ends as well as any movie I've ever seen. So uh, I'm kind of all in on it. Like I just, I just love Manhattan. And, and Annie Hall, only a shade behind, you know, Crimes and Misdemeanors and Hannah and Her Sisters, I think, only a shade behind. I just think he was, he was they the all greatest. Fall, they all have amazing endings. I think, yeah, I think yeah. if, I, if I may say, I think, I feel like Manhattan is the most problematic of them through various lenses. However, saying yes, that, that's true. I do think that the end of Manhattan, the last like two minutes of it, is two of the most like beautiful minutes in cinema. Like, it really is. It really is. When he's and trying I think to, about that it, message a lot. Like I genuinely think it's a profound. Yeah, it is. It's, it's extraordinarily real. It just drips reality and the selfishness of people and, you know, him trying to convince that, that young girl, you know, to, to stay with him after all he's put her through and her moving on, she's matured and she's moving on and that's not going to happen. And he's now got to wrap his head around that. And it, it is, and it is a, problematic movie for sure by today's standards but i think like it's a movie about flawed people and it Mm -hmm. was then and it is now so i don't think it's necessarily any more problematic necessarily than it even was then the the age difference between them and and stuff but man i i I, it just gives me goosebumps it gives me goosebumps and the opening the opening sequence Mm -hmm. of that movie those shots of manhattan over his voiceover and rhapsody in blue uh it's it's just magic to me yeah What's his last good film? Oh, that's a really good question because I haven't liked a lot of the other ones that other people did. Some of the more recent ones like uh, Matchpoint, for instance, I didn't really love. I might say Midnight in Paris. I I really did enjoy Midnight in Paris. It's just a fun kind of ride, like a little bit of a nostalgic ride. 
I didn't like Vicky Cristina Barcelona as much as everybody else did. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, as much as I adored Woody Allen's early comedies, which I thought were all hysterically great, like, and then his, the height of his powers, which I thought was seventies, eighties. Um, I haven't really loved his more recent stuff. I just, I, I don't know whether he, he's sort of a little bit just aged out for me or, or mm. what, but, or, or whether it's the personal stuff, you know, there's a lot swirling there, it, but, but it's, it's, I, I guess, I would say Midnight in Paris would be the the short answer to the last one. I really came out of the theater going, yeah, I really like that one. I think that's fair. Uh, what is the film that you can or have watched the most over and over again? This is Shakespeare in Love. And uh, yeah, I mean, Shakespeare in Love has so much meaning for me with my wife, A, and B, it is a truly lyrical movie. And I think the one of the reasons for that is because they use a lot of Shakespeare in it. They use a lot of Romeo and Juliet in it. And the uh, music's wonderful. Performances are wonderful. It's about an artist, which I love. Like every, it's about a writer, which I love even more than that. Like it's about a writer falling in love with an actor, which I like even more than that. So it's, it, it, it pushes a lot of buttons for me, but there is a particular sequence in the movie where they kind of abandon the screenplay and there's a montage for about four or five minutes. I forget how long it goes where it's just Romeo and Juliet there. You're all you're hearing is the, is actual lines from Romeo and Juliet. And it's juxtaposed with them rehearsing and, and, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow and Joe finds, you know, having sex and, and all these beautiful images from the theater and the music. And it's just, it is, you're kind of transported, like you're transported in the, in the way that Shakespeare can actually transport you when you, when you let it like, and so I find that feeling like I want to return to that feeling. And for me, the only way to do that is to put the DVD in and watch it again, you know, or stream it. Like, so, so that, that's the one that, that gets the most replay value for me. And, and if there's it's really, words, it keeps working. It was, it's the words, it's Shakespeare, you know, juxtaposed with the music and those images. And, and there's a, there's an image late in the movie too, that I've never been able to shake where, where Joseph Fiennes is watching Gwyneth Paltrow on stage and he's in the wings. She's out on stage she's looking as radiant as you could look and he's staring at her and he already knows he's going to lose her. He knows mm-hmm. he's going to lose her. And yet he's got this sort of beatific look on his face of just sheer love. Like, I don't think they've ever captured what, it, what love looks like on somebody's face and, and, and then their point of view of the thing they're looking at being romanticized in front of them. Then that moment, like, it's just, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And I think Shakespeare in love didn't, you know, it, it got a lot of, I think backlash because a lot of people attributed its success at the Oscars to Harvey Weinstein's, yeah. uh, you know, machinations and kind of rigging the system. But, but I absolutely disagree with the idea that the movie should have taken any hits for that. I think it was, it was the best movie of that year for sure. And it absolutely deserved best picture. And I think it's one of the best movies ever made. Like I just, it's Tom Stoppard at the mm. height of his powers and Mark Norman and, and all those guys, like they just, it was, it was truly brilliant for me. That's so interesting. I think it's interesting about the Oscars is a surefire way to kill a film is to give it the best picture Oscar. Yeah, maybe. Because then everyone turns on it and goes, how is this the greatest? Fuck you. Right. Speaking of which, we don't like to be too negative. So we'll do it fairly quickly. What's the worst film you ever saw? I'm going to drop an absolute bomb here on your podcast because uh, I already know from having listened to your podcast that other people, at least, and people that I respect think it's one of the best films they've ever seen but to me that's what makes it the worst the worst film i've ever seen is caddyshack wowzers 
Yeah. So some people the, let, just threw their phone at the fuck. Yeah. Door. Let's let's let the oxygen come back into the room. And let me let me explain Go just a little it. bit. Okay. When that spate of movies, Animal House, Caddyshack, like those mm-hmm. late seventies, like I was too uh, young to see them at the time. They were rated R. My parents didn't let me go. So I then spent the next ten or fifteen years knowing that I still had to see those movies. Mm-hmm. During that whole time, everybody was telling me that Caddyshack was the greatest movie of all time. They were quoting from it ad nauseum. They're doing the bits. They're and it's Caddyshack, 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 Caddyshack. So finally. In my late 20s, I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch Caddyshack. Like, I'm so excited. My expectations are through the roof. You know, you can only imagine. Everyone said it's the funniest movie in history. It may as well have won the Best Picture Oscar. Yeah, exactly. I think that had a lot to do with it. But I was like, I laughed once in an hour and a half. Like, and, and this is like, again, this is my other. Now, I've, I've, dumped, I've dumped on the jerk, Steve Martin, like mm. who I adore. The other person who's on my Mount Rushmore is Bill Murray. Like, I've worked with him. I've, so if he, if he listens to this, you know. Go on, good on you if he listens right to this. Right for me again. If you're listening, not, Bill, I'm so sorry for this. Not good on me for having bashed Caddyshack because, and I love so many of his movies, um, but I don't think it holds up. I think it's like juvenile. It, a lot of it feels lazy and sort of slapdash. I mean, and, and again, uh, this is, these are people I adore. So I know, and I know how hard it is to make a movie. So I know that it wasn't that like I, but for me, it just didn't land. And, and, and I think probably, this says more about me than it does the movie. Like, cause I have to believe there's no way that movie's actually bad. If all those, all these people I respect love it as much as they do. Like I am out in orbit of a planet, like everybody else is on the planet and I'm out in orbit, like saying this movie's actually bad, but for me, it just didn't work. So it says more about me than the movie, but I am going to stick by my guns and defend the fact that Caddyshack was just and I'm not going to pick a B film either because I could have clearly gone yeah. here and picked any number of B movies that are actually worse than Caddyshack. But but again, the disparity between how great it's supposed to be and how yeah. great it actually was when I watched it was like was the largest of any movie I've ever I've ever watched. Hey, listen, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, and I'm sorry to Bill who's listening, and I'm sorry to Steve Martin who's listening. But if you'd love to come on and slag off Deadpool, you can. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And look, you can tell, feel free right now to tell me I'm a jackass because I am a jackass. Me? No, I Yeah, wouldn't. no. You love Caddyshack. Come on. You, you had to. I, I, listen, I'll be honest with you. I've only seen Caddyshack once. I don't think it's the worst one I've ever made, but I also think I saw it late. And, and I remember thinking it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite badly made. Like, it's quite poorly put together. Like, it doesn't really... It feels like a, a film made when everyone was having a good time on drugs. Like that's not, kind of, that was kind of my reaction. Like yeah, everybody had. A I didn't hate it though, but yeah, it looks like a sort of unfinished. It's like oh, this is sort of the film. It's sort of this. <laughs> it, it also got a feeling to me of it like it was improvised a lot, and that may yeah. or may not be true. I don't know how it was actually made, but to where you could imagine being on set and everybody thinking it's like the funniest thing they've ever seen because it's happening live, and it's like. But, you know, many years later in a different era, you know, alone in my bedroom watching it, it was just different. Totally fair. Now, listen, you're, you're in comedy. You've made a lot of amazing comedies. What's the film that made you laugh the most? Definitely not Caddyshack. Be, yeah, not Caddyshack. Airplane is, is the one that made me laugh the most, start to finish. Lovely. I would say my favorite comedy of all time is actually Spinal Tap because of the, yeah. it also has the you know, the characters and stuff, you know, whereas, whereas airplanes clearly just a, a, a complete farce, but you can't beat the last per minute of airplane. You just can't like that yeah. movie is, 
you know, start to finish, you're just howling the whole time. Like, it's just, it's such a machine kind of comedy. And, and it also holds up. Like, it was, it was funny yeah. when I was, you know, a little kid watching it. And it's just as funny now. I saw it a couple of three years ago and it was just laughing, 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 laughing. I know the lines even before they come, but they're still delivered so deadpan. I love the deadpan nature of it. Like, they, one of the, one of the keys to comedy and look, I, look, I think you know this because I've seen you do it. It's like, as an actor, you don't know you're funny, right? And it's like, you're, you're the character. Like you're, mm-hmm. and, and, and those, that airplane movie, like everyone in that movie is in a drama. You know, it's like, yeah. they are in a drama. What's coming out of their mouths is funny. Like, because the lines are funny and stuff. But, but Leslie Nielsen is playing that as absolutely straight dramatic. Like he is in that scene. Like, yeah. and I think, I, I think one of the great killers of comedy is when you get the sense that the performer thinks they're funny or, you know, where they're kind of wing and they think they're funny. Like, and if you watch Leslie Nielsen's performances over the, the naked gun movies, they actually get worse. And I think it's because God rest his soul. He's the best. But I think if you watch like naked gun 33 and a third, or like, you, or, or some of those later ones he was in, he clearly thinks he's funny. He's mugging. Uh-huh. He's like, he's, he's, he's sort of lost the, he, he's he's playing to the camera. You can see the wink. You can see the, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm pretty funny here, aren't I? But in those early ones, the Zucker brothers, like the, when, when they were, when they were doing their best stuff, everybody was in it. They were in those scenes and that you never saw a wink. Um, and, and yet it was so ridiculous. And, and the, and the juxtaposition of those two things is what makes it really, really hilarious. Correct. That is the correct yeah, answer. I think so. Brett Reese, you have been an absolute nightmare. This has I, been I know, hell. You know, I, you know, but the thing is, so have you. So we've sort of, you have you, been so lovely, and uh, and your man Ruben Fleischer was right. You are you are one of the nicest guys, and I've so loved doing this, and I really appreciate your time and for you doing this. However, when you were eighty-seven years old. And you'd you had to have surgery on your aorta. It was a typical aorta surgery, and the doctor said, "Listen, chances are fifty-fifty." And you said, "I like yeah. those odds." And you thought, "Do you know what? Though? I'm going to write a nice email to everyone." So you did a big group email. You cc'd everyone in your book. Some people you hadn't that were like, you know, spam. Yeah. So, so, there were a couple of companies who got this email and were like, "What the fuck is this?" Anyway, it was like a very long email in which you thanked everyone for their contribution to your life. What sort of ruined it for some people is you you did say you're my favorite, but at the beginning you'd put <laughs> dear <sure>. all. <laughs> so some people sure. were a bit like upset by that, but that's fine. They I, forgive you. I get it. Yeah, I get that. But you said, like, I don't want to make a big thing of it, but I'm having surgery tomorrow. And if I die, I'd like you to also have read this. Uh, but if not, see you at the weekend. And you went in for the surgery. And as you had wished, uh, the surgery didn't work and you died. <laughs> You died on the table because the yeah. the surgeons they weren't the best, and you get well, they, did their, be- they did their best. They did their best. They did their best, but they weren't the best. Yeah, that's right. And that's I'm not saying that's your fault for who you chose, but you you hadn't done a lot of research, and the the surgeons you chose were didn't have a great they, on the internet. They got like three stars on Google reviews. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so I've come to visit you in the hospital because I'm like, oh, I got your email. I was like, oh, it's nice. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, of course, now you would have. You yeah, know, yeah. I, I, before I knew you an hour ago, I, you wouldn't have gotten it. But of course, now you're one of my favorites. You're not one of my favorites. I'm on, my, I'm on the CC. So I, uh, 
So I turn up just to check in on you. And you are not only dead, but these doctors, these three-star doctors, not only did they like open you up, but they pumped you full of formaldehyde. What's it called? Formaldehyde? Formaldehyde. They pumped you full of formaldehyde. Say again. Formaldehyde? Formaldehyde. Pumped you full of formaldehyde. I don't know if that's right, but... Pumped you full of formaldehyde, which is a future chemical, because they thought, oh, we'll, 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 you know, it will seal up the heart. But in fact, they then discovered, I said, isn't that what you put in dead bodies? And they went, that's what it was for. It was for dead bodies. So your body had swelled to three times its size. Oh, wow. Because they couldn't turn off the formaldehyde machine. Oh, wow. So I'd brought a coffin for you because I'm often walking around with a coffin like someone out of a um, Sergio Leone film. But the coffin I got was the size of you. It wasn't the size of three years. And I'm like, what a nightmare. So I say, to, I say to the surgeon, oh, can I borrow one of your scalpels? And they go, yeah, yeah, sure. We haven't even sterilized this one. I said, doesn't matter. He's dead. And I, cho- I chopped, up your, chopped up your body into as many bits as I could. Now, now moved off the favorite list, by the way. You're now back on the... Too late. That email lives forever on my wall. I stuffed you in the coffin, but there's more of you in there than... Uh, it's just rammed. All right. There's only enough room in this coffin for me to slip one DVD in the side view for you to take to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. Yeah. One night, it's your movie night. What film are you taking to show everyone on the other side? Uh, we're going to watch a movie called Defending Your Life. Um, oh! It, do, do you know? You know. Albert Brooks. Yes, Albert Brooks. And I'm bringing it because it's one of my favorites and it will always be. I've seen it many times, but I'm also bringing it because it's about the afterlife and it's about, you know, it, it's like, it's this whole cool construct of what the afterlife could look like. And, and it's, it's a super cool movie if you've never seen it. Uh, but I thought it would be fun when we're in the actual afterlife to do a sort of compare and contrast and say, what did Albert Brooks get right? What did he get wrong? We'll have some fun with that. Well, it'll be It'll be it'll just be a kick for heaven, like you know, it'll be a kick for everybody in the room, and That's we'll have great. a good time, and, and, and then we can get on to watching The Godfather and you know, and Usual Suspects and all the other movies that everybody put on their list. But this one has to kind of be there. That's great, Rhett Reese. Before we say goodbye, is there anything you would like to tell people to look out for, to listen to, to watch? Yeah, for? I mean, we've got. Um, you know, we've got a, a show that's just hit Amazon Prime called Wayne that we worked on that uh, we're super proud of, created by a friend of ours, Sean Simmons. Uh, What's Wayne? We really, we really need it to do well to, to justify a season two. So we're kind of, we're, we're pimping it out. Um, but you, uh, I don't know if, I know you're such a film buff, you probably don't have time for as much television. But But I promise you, if you get it in the UK, I'm not even sure if you do, but if you do, watch it it is a it's sort of like john wick meets john hughes it's a very violent violent story about a 15 year old charles bronson basically who doesn't take shit from anyone in his life and uh he goes on a road trip to 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 find the long lost trans am that his stepfather stole from him that was that was his father's uh you know kind of it was his father's intention that he get this car his father dies. He doesn't get the car. His, his evil stepfather has it down in Florida. He gets on a motorcycle with the girl he loves. They go down to get the car back. It's Tarantino-esque, like in the fact that it's just, it's comedy, but it's violence and it's romance and it's crazy. And we didn't, we wrote one episode, Paul and I. Uh, we wrote episode three. It's it's appearing on Amazon right now. Uh, if you're in America, maybe also the UK, I'm not sure on that point. Um, so definitely tell folks about that. 
Yeah. And then the other thing we have going is we're, we're shooting a new movie. Uh, well, we're not shooting it. Joe Kaczynski is going to be shooting it, but uh, a new movie um, called Spiderhead, which is based on a George Saunders short story. It's kind of near future science fiction about a prison where the warden uh, uh, experiments on the inmates with emotion altering drugs. Um, it is about to shoot in Australia in about a week. It, it will start Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller. Um, it'll come out next fall on Netflix. So that'll probably be the next thing we work on that'll, that'll, that'll be. Joe, is Joe Kaczynski the man who made the new Top Gun film? Yes, he is. Hello. And I've tried, I've used every bit of my persuasion to get him to show it to me early. Right. Because it's like, he's not my friend and and yet I, no luck so far. Wow. That is impressive. I yeah. would cave immediately. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Show it. Here, here it is. Here it is. Yeah, no, it's like if, if you look at next year and all the movies coming down the pipeline, like that's the one I, I'm most excited about, obviously, for obvious reasons. It's yeah. a top 10. Bit, so. And yeah, so those are the things we have coming out. You know, we're constantly writing and working and uh, uh, just just trying to make stuff to entertain people and trying to, uh, you know, we're still squirrels trying to get that nut you know, late, slightly <laughs> later in our career. So we're, we'll ride it as long as we can. Brett Reese. You are a delight. Thank you very and, much. And, and, and waiting for Ted Lasso season two. Get on it. What are you doing with this with me right now? Get out there, Roy what, Kent. Get oh, out there. Okay. You're not allowed to dally. Get down there. I hope Roy Kent joins the coaching staff or something. I don't know what's up for him, but we, we, we want what's best for Roy. So, Unfortunately, he dies episode one. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, it's a shame, but we need some drama. Brett Reese, thank you for your time. I'm going to press stop now. Have a lovely death. Good night. Thank you so, so much. So that was episode 123. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 30 minutes of chat, secrets and video with Rhett. Go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Why don't you? And instead of writing a review, you can write about the film that means the most to you and why. I do read them. It's actually a very nice thing to do. Makes me cry. Maureen loves it. Go for it. Thank you. Thank you so much to Rhett for giving me his time to record this. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come and join me next week where I believe my next guest will be none other than the amazing Krista Miller. So that is it for now. In the meantime, have a lovely week and please be excellent to each other. Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen.
Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Oh, thanks, my name is Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Brett, sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen.